host, Lewis Alvan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We enjoy spending our Saturday morning with you and answering any questions you may have. I see we've got Trey's been patiently holding. Good morning, Trey. Good morning, guys. Happy Saturday to you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I have a 2002 Highlander, Mm -hmm. the V6, 3004 Cam 24 engine, and I've got a Bank 1 Sensor 1 error that popped up the other day, and I've been looking to try and figure out where that sensor is, and both on the internet with videos and Mm -hmm. just looking, you know, looking under the hood and under the undercarriage, and I wanted to make sure that um, where I think it is, is is really the right one. It looks to me like underneath the, it's on the firewall side, not the radiator side of the engine. And it looks like it's, the only way to get to it is from un, going underneath the, the undercarriage. Yeah, you're talking about the oxygen sensor, right, Trey? Well, well Toyota called it an air fuel sensor. Air fuel sensor, sensor. yeah. Correct. Well, you see, now you've got an oxygen sensor, you've got an air fuel sensor. Okay. They look similar, but they're totally different the way they operate. Okay. And as far as position, it doesn't make any difference. I would have to look it up in service data to tell you definitively, but normally the one towards the firewall is bank one on Toyota. You need to find find out which one is bank one and bank two. Yes. The number one cylinder is going to be on bank one. Okay. And, you know, unfortunately, even the Toyota dealer generally can't tell you. I usually have to look it up on service data. And the reason I'm a little reluctant to tell you it's the one towards the firewall is that I have seen a handful of them where it's the other one. Okay. It's just wherever number one cylinder is, and they okay. start numbering those cylinders different ways on different cars, and wherever number one cylinder is is bank one. Okay. Uh, I tell you, if you want to send an email, it may be later on this afternoon before you get a chance to look it up, but I can look it up for you in service data and tell you definitively which one it is. Okay. All right. Would it help for me to include the VIN number for you? I won't need that. Just the, okay. the year and the, and the type of engine and what have. Okay. Engine, have. engine size mm-hmm. and the, the year model. Okay, I'll do that. But I could tell you definitively. And like I said, most of the time, Bank 1 on a Toyota is the one on towards the firewall because they start off on what would be the right-hand side of the motor if it was sitting straight, and that's number one. And it's weird the way they number cylinders. Some will go one, two, three on one bank, yeah, four, just, five, six on the other bank. Some go one, two, three, cross. diagonal pattern. Yeah. They, there's so much variation. I don't know why they can't just standardize that stuff, but every Company, every manufacturer, every different. vehicle. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. just keep changing, 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 and it just makes it the devil to try to keep up with. I've even seen some on a, the same engine platform in a different year model be different. Be different. So, well, yeah, it well, just it depends on what year it is and and what engine. And those sensors are relatively expensive, so you yeah. definitely don't want to change the wrong yeah, one. Yeah, no, no. I, I found that out when I called the Toyota dealership, mm-hmm. and that was going to be my next question. Would you strictly go with the, uh, I would. the original OEM? Strictly yep. Toyota, yep. because okay. some of that aftermarket stuff can damage the computer in it. Wow. The guy had a Honda, same issue, and he went to the Honda, and of course it was $340 for the sensor. Goes to a parts store, and they had one for, I don't know, 80 or $90, and did not have the wires, just had pigtails on it. Mm-hmm. So he just cuts it off, tapes all the wires together, plugs it in, and when he does, the car won't start. Brings dust to burnt PCM because it's feeding power directly back to the signal, signal wire. Mm. on the thing so yeah it's worth the extra money it's just cheaper in the long run gotcha. be careful with the sensors even the one you're taking out not to bang them around too right. much they're very very and fragile especially the new one try yeah, not okay. to bang it around at all because gotcha. they are extremely fragile inside mm-hmm. okay well I, I appreciate the help i'll send you that email okay man all right thank you thanks, thanks Ray. Bye-bye. bye-bye 
right, 291-6901 is the number you're going to be part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines. We've got Sal online. Good morning, Sal. Hi, good morning. Yes, sir. good morning. I have a question about my 2008 Jeep Patriot. Mm-hmm. The ABS light, brake light and traction light came on a couple of days ago. Okay. And I had it checked out at a, at a mechanic shop. Mm-hmm. They told me that the pump under the hood was bad. Okay. Okay. But the light went off mm-hmm. yesterday. And But the the question is, my gas mileage went went way down. I mean, way up. So, like, is that how is that tied for the gas mileage? It really like? shouldn't it, be, Sal. It could be something else going on with the fuel mileage. It could be a coincidence. I wouldn't think the ABS would be related to fuel mileage, other than they are all tied together on a network. And if one module goes down, it can shut other modules down. So it may not. I mean, who who could say? You know, it is possible, but probably not very likely. I noticed the RPMs are way higher. You talking about on an idle? No, when you're driving. Now, when you say way higher, you mean relative to the speed you're driving? Usually, you know, I'm doing 60, and uh-huh. it's about 2. Now it's about 2.5 or so. So hmm. That sounds like a transmission or a lockup issue, which I okay. guess could possibly be related. You know, the, the transmission computer, excuse me, the transmission control computer module is talking to the ABS right. module. Okay. So it okay. could effectively change that. Now, if the RPM go up, you know, it could be either hanging not, in a lower gear right. or not going to lock up, which will definitely affect your fuel mileage. Okay. okay. And again, whether or not they're related or whether they're just coincidental or whatever, you'd have to check the vehicle to find out why. And see, it's even possible that if you had a problem with the transmission control module, it could affect and throw an ABS light. I mean, they're all talking to each other. And when you have a problem on any one or anything that causes a problem on one, uh-huh. it, it could cause other yeah. issues. Yeah, you may – I would probably want to get that to someone else and get a second opinion on it. It's okay. possible you got something going with the electrical system. See, ABS is one of the most sensitive ones on there. For some reason, it seems to come on first. But let's okay. say you got something freaky like an alternator that's producing a weird little sine wave pattern in the voltage. Uh-huh. That can freak out that module, throw the light on. You, that kind of it kind of adapts to that or whatever, and then the next one starts. So yeah, it could be you got some kind of electrical issue that's causing all these lights, and that could affect everything. I mean, it's okay. going to be a little difficult to yeah. find, but I would want somebody who's really really skilled diagnostically to go in there and look at that electrical system real well, because it okay. doesn't necessarily need to be a big problem. I mean, I've seen okay. stuff like a temporary battery cable in with high resistance calls, something like that. I mean, yeah. all these things operate on a 5-volt reference. So if you lose 1 volt, you're down 20%. Those computers go crazy. Right. Anything that right. affects that 5-volt that reference will cause problems. And, and it could cause trouble on multiple computers. In other words, you may have ABS today. Next week, you may have a transmission problem. Next week, check engine light may pop on or the airbag right. light. If there's something okay. freaky going on in the electrical system, it, it will affect all of them. And... When they come on, just depends on which one happened to be testing at the time that the problem occurred. Okay. Well, if it if it comes back on, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bring it in. I would do that, and I would kind of make lists, get a little notebook, and start writing down some of these things because you could probably forget them over time. But write down, you know, the ABS light came on first, and then it went off. Then the transmission or the RPM seemed to be higher relative to the miles per hour. Write all this stuff down in a sequential order because that can be real handy. This is not going to be an easy problem to find, 
But the more information like that you have, the more likely they are to be able to go to it. Okay, I appreciate. So it. just just form like a little journal so you can because your memory will slip over time. Right, right. All righty. I, I appreciate it. Okay, Sam. Right. Thanks, man. Right, bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. I think we catch one more call for the break. We've got Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. Morning. Yes, Good sir. Morning. I'm in the process. Well, I'm starting to look for a used car for my daughter. She's turning sixteen, okay. so I'm trying to find something. Anything that y'all recommend that may do better, like a Honda, a Toyota, a Nissan. Like which ones cost the less to repair? Yeah, <laughs> I tell you, Jeff. In my opinion, the most problem-free cars by a wide margin will be Honda and Toyota. Okay. And not necessarily in that order. I like Toyota just a little better than Honda, although both are, are usually good cars. Now, that uh-huh. said, you will pay more money for that car on the used yeah. market simply because people realize it's a better car, and so they're willing to pay more money. Where okay. most people get into trouble is they go with another car because it's cheaper to initially get into. But you then they spend five times that amount repairing the car. Right. You know, it's like uh, my old man always says, sometimes the cheapest way out is the more expensive way in. And if you can get a better car initially, even if you have to pay more money, but it costs you less recurring expense, mm-hmm. then it's cheaper, you know, right. over, over the course of the period that you drive it. You would be real hard-pressed to find anything better than a Toyota or Honda. And I like the stripped-down models better than I do the fancier models. For instance, I would prefer a Toyota Corolla over a Camry yeah. or an Avalon right? because okay. it's got less gadgets. It's less stuff to break. I prefer right. a Honda Civic over the Accord. Particular, like, mileage, like, don't get something that, you know, well, over I mean, you don't want anything, anything under 80. Yeah, you stuff. don't want anything with 350,000 miles right, because right. no matter what, it's pretty close to the end of its life. But miles don't really bother me too much. What I would look for is the newest in years without okay. a whole lot of regard to miles. For instance, okay. I would prefer to have a 2014 with 150,000 miles than uh-huh. I would a 2010 with 80,000 miles. Okay. Reason being, the price will be about the same because cars are sold based on mileage. Uh-huh. But to have a lot of miles in a car means it's been driven a lot, which is real good. It's probably highway miles. And that yeah. car's going to be in better shape traditionally than the other. And uh-huh. no matter what car you buy, look at them. When you get down to this is the one I want, bring it to someone you trust and have them check the car. Because no matter how good a car traditionally is, something can be wrong with that particular car. Right. So you don't buy anything without having it checked. Y'all do the inspections yes, like sir. that? Yes, sir. We do pre-purchase inspections you all day long. You need an appointment or something yes, like sir. that? Yes, sir. You would. Okay. And, Just call and make an appointment yes, to bring and, it and in. Yes, sir. call me two or three days in advance to, uh, to uh-huh. have a little better you know, chance of getting right. in. But, yeah, and ironically, what we do on pre-purchase inspections, I'm looking for a reason for not you. to buy the car. Yeah. I'm okay. looking for a problem. So uh-huh. if I find a really good car, I'm going to spend probably an hour going over it. If I find a dog, it's going to take me 10, 15 minutes. So I only I charge it. for the time I spend. I for, for instance, if I get a car in and I put it up and this car has been wrecked and cut in half and welded back together, uh-huh. is there really any reason to go any further? Or sure. if I pull the dipstick and the transmission fluid is black and it's got three transmission codes in it, well, there's no reason to check any further. So okay. we charge for the amount of time we spend on the car. The better the car, the more it may cost. Usually, worst-case scenario is going to be about an hour, which for us is $105. That would be the worst case as uh-huh. far as cost goes. But many of them, we in 15 minutes, I yeah, just we'll know. I knock it down and say, look, you don't want this car. You know, It's been flooded. It's been this. It's been that. And so I don't want to 
spend a lot of time checking something that's irrelevant. You know, if the car has been flooded and transmission full of water, it doesn't really matter what else is wrong with it. And on the other flip side of that, if the car got hit in the front and it was fixed correctly, right, then you know we'll keep going, we'll keep looking, right, because it's but, not an issue, right? Because but if it hasn't been fixed correctly, you know, it's kind of put back together partially and not welded correctly, mm-hmm. and it's still bent over and. We're going to stop right there and say, hey, this car's, you know, it's not too bad. Want to consider, yeah. Right. I got you. One more question. Yes, what sir. about a Hyundai? Are they reliable? They're or? okay up until about, about 100,000 miles, yeah. and then okay. they fall apart. So if you're buying one at 80, that you know, that, that's why they sell. That's why you can buy them a dime a dozen. Tell me all you need to tell yeah. me. <laughs> In my opinion. I want something that's going to last for about five through college. Hopefully. Go through college, right. right. We'll look at a Toyota or a Honda. Toyota right. or Honda. Yes, sir. Got it. All righty. Thanks a lot. Okay, man. All right. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. All right. We're going to take our first quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. West. Travel my way. Take the highway. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie... (laughs) me my car into agco for a general inspection keep your car on the road longer schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go hey welcome back if you just join us the automotive hour i'm your host lewis alvazan with mr brian terry hey tune to us we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have just give us a call our number is 291-6901 and that's what paul did good morning paul hey good morning I've got a 2007 Jeep Wrangler, 308,000 miles. Wow. That's the first, that's just, that's the first shocker. Uh-huh. But uh, I've got a tap that's developed, and I'm not sure exactly where, it's, what valve or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any type of easy fixing so I can get get time to break it down? And well, you need, it, to, you need yeah. to find out what the noise is first, Paul. And probably the, the number one giveaway on that is when does it start making a noise? For instance, does it do it when it's cold and go away when it gets hot? Or does it do it when it's hot and go away when it gets cold? Or, or it's, vi- it's, Yeah, it's more it does it when it's hot and then it goes away when it gets cold. Okay, well, then so that is probably going to be either a valve lifter, a rod, something lubrication-related. Because the oil gets thin as it gets, you know, the reason I ask that is that a lot, a lot of times we'll hear an exhaust leak and people swear it's a valve ticket because it sounds exactly the same. But exhaust leaks okay. are generally going to be worse when they're cold and get better when they get hot. You yeah, know, there's and, nothing you're going to do other than take it easy on it until you can get in there and figure out what it is. I mean, if you just absolutely love the vehicle, you're willing to put a motor in it, probably worth doing something with. That said, if it's just a ticking and not a knocking, and it's not getting progressively worse, you may be able to drive it quite a while just like it is. Maybe the okay. fix might be worse than the problem. 
Right. Because when you get into an engine with 300,000 miles, there's not going to be much of anywhere to stop. Everywhere, everything in it's going to be worn. Right. And yeah, you, just exactly. have, you just put you, a Band-Aid on Yeah, you wouldn't go in and put a set of valve lifters in a 300,000-mile engine because next thing you know, a piston ring or a rod bearing. So if you, you love the vehicle, and I'm going to fix it regardless, I would probably drive it until it got a lot worse, and then I'd probably look at putting a motor in it. I don't okay. think it's going to be anything simple you can be able to do. And that it, that's predicating the fact that it's not something simple that's making the noise, but almost never – if it's there when it's hot and goes away when it gets cold, it's almost always going to be some kind of an internal engine noise, which is almost okay. always going to be a big deal. Right. Yeah, Judge. I also know that I do have a uh, an exhaust leak, but I mean that's I mean that's the reason I keep getting my my engine light coming on. But I mm-hmm. I know about that. Right, and that'll generally get better as it gets hot because the exhaust swells up when it gets hot and it kind of quiets right. down, as opposed All to right. a lubrication problem which gets worse when it gets hot. Is it getting a lot worse than it always was, or is it staying about the same? It's about the same. Yeah. It, ha- it hasn't gotten too much worse. I mean, it started developing about three weeks ago. Yeah, you'll probably know when it's time to do something. It'll start getting uh, progressively a lot worse. I mean, the only other thing you can Are do, you? change the oil a little more often in it. Use and a good oil filter on it. Use a good oil filter yeah. on it, and you may buy some time with it, but it's and probably you, not going to be a simple fix for it. You might be able to take a stethoscope or something and kind of listen to it and see if it's in the front or in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, it okay. kind of give you an idea of about where it's at in the inside the engine. But there again, you know, the vehicle's got three hundred thousand miles on it. If it's just a, a valve tapping or a lifter, something yeah. you can live with. I mean, if the chain's slapping up against the the timing cover, yeah, then that you're would, probably going to need that. Would usually be worse when it's cold and, and get better as it warms up. You're going to need a new engine. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's going to be the ultimate fix. It's just yeah. like, it's kind of like trying to do a heart transplant on a man ninety five years old. You know, just nowhere to stop. <laughs> yes, we lost. We lost. Okay. Hey, got any questions or anything? Comments on the show? Give us a call two nine one sixty nine zero one. You know, I thought that with the unbearable weather that we're having out there right. across most of the United States, uh, the extremely high temperatures, that maybe we could talk just a little bit about air conditioning. Sure. And air conditioning is one of those things that, unfortunately, most people think they know something about it, and a lot of the common practices out that- there cause huge huge amounts of problems because a lot of the i don't know what you call it uh, urban legends about okay. this that and the, the other myths. the myths that pervade that particular field of endeavor are more than most things and the problem with an air conditioning unit is that you generally get one opportunity to fix it correctly right if you go in and do something improper or allow someone to go in and make an improper repair you're normally going to be into a complete system replacement. Sure. Almost all of the units we get in that require total system replacement are because someone has made an improper repair in the relatively recent past. And if you do that, you're going to just about guarantee a much, much, much bigger repair. Like I said, you get the one shot to go in and fix it right Mm -hmm. the first time and save money. So I see all our lines are lighting back up. Let's catch a few of these lines before we get into that further. We've got Marvin on the line. Good morning, Marvin. How are y'all this morning? Doing great, Doing sir. Great. My question is a transmission uh, question. Okay. I have a 2011 Camry, mm-hmm. and it got 108,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. It's time to, I guess, get the transmission fluid changed. Yeah, I'd like to have done it sooner, but, I mean, it's, it's never too late. My problem is I called the Toyota place, and they said only. <laughs> yeah. They'll tell you it's a sealed transmission. They'll tell you mm-hmm. the filters forever and all that. That is not true. It's a regular transmission, the same transmission I've been using for years. It needs a regular service. I like to do them at 50,000 miles. 
Toyota sells 100, but again, Toyota's in the business of selling new cars. But yeah, it needs a service just like every other one. This stuff comes from the fact there's no dipstick on it. They eliminated dipstick years ago like most people did. Does not have a permanent filter. It's got a regular filter just like everything else. It needs a regular service and a real service on that when you drop the pan, you change the filter, torque the valve body bolts, refill it with the right fluid, check it for leaks, and drive it. But How do you know what the amount of fluid? you got to have you the gotta, stuff to do it. Right. It's you just not anything you're going to be able to do, do by yourself. you got to have you got to have a scan a tool procedure. to read the temperature on it, and then you've got a special tool to add the fluid to it, and then you got to know how much is in there. So it's something you're going to need to take somebody that knows what they're doing. Right. Toyota deal ain't the one I would choose. They eliminated yeah. the dipstick to keep people out of them yep. because they were causing more trouble well, than – people would go in there and mess with it, put the wrong amount of fluid right. in it. They put the wrong fluid in it. They were creating more problems than they were solving. So, so they, they eliminated the dipstick, which eliminated the do-it-yourself for the most part. Well, when I'd asked the Toyota place, they told me they didn't have a filter in it. Well, they you know, yeah. Then it tells me they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> 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 talking sure yeah. sure. I don't know where they do come up do? with that stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do them all day long. Do we y'all stock. Do that kind of work. Yes, sir. We yes, stock sir. all the filters. We got everything in stock to do it. Okay. Well, I may bring it by and have y'all take a look. Yeah, at I would really. Yeah, I would like to have done that at fifty thousand, Marvin. But a hundred mm-hmm. is not too late. You know, if you don't do it now, when you get up to about 150 to 180, you're going to start having some real problems yeah. because right now you still have an opportunity to prevent stuff. Okay. You know, it would have been better earlier, but it's not too late. Okay. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks All right. Good advice. Thanks, Thank man. You. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. 291 is the number. And we've got Errol online. Good morning, Errol. Good morning. How are you guys doing? doing great, doing sir. Great. That's good. That's good. Got a quick question for you. Kelly? I have a 2008. Dodge Challenger RT, I mean 2013, I'm sorry, Dodge Challenger uh, RT, mm-hmm. and just about all of my sensor lights are on, TPMS, ABS, and like the little traction right. sensor, right. all of them are on. car still drives fine, and, and I'm, I'm not having any problems, although I replaced a door handle sensor. My question is, the sensors on, on these cars, on, these, on this particular model, have y'all had noticed any issues with them? No, if it's and got no, if it's got lights on, it's got problems. You know, you're going to have to die. Each one of those is going to be a separate thing, although some of them may be related. TPMS is generally one of the sensors, one or more of the sensors in the wheels, and a lot of times it's just the battery's gone dead on them. You figure on a 13 model, it's five, five years, years old. old. That's about the time the batteries start going dead. When the batteries go dead, the light pops on. And the problem is, one they go dead one at a time. They don't go die at once, so you change one. The light goes out. Next week, the next one dies. The light comes back right, on. Right, because there's four of them. Because there's four. Yeah, it's four of them. Same thing system. with the trash control and all that. I mean, there are sensors all over the car. That car probably has three or 400 different sensors on it. They're all talking to each other. Some of them may yeah. be related. You know, a, a trash control light may also set a check engine light. Check engine light may also set a trash control light and that kind of stuff. You just need to get someone who knows what to do and diagnose the problems yep. and decide what you want to fix. For instance, on the tire pressure sensors, if you don't care to spend the money to fix it, it's not going to stop the car from running. Or and it's not going to fail inspection. Not going to fail inspection. State inspection. Yeah, check engine light is not on anything okay. like that. But okay. one of the things about what you guys said was how they all may come on one at a time. Uh, one at a time. Yeah. It, it and looks it, like it, they came on all the same. Well, they may. Well, they could they have. May. Yeah, you could have a yeah. problem with, with a bad alternator. will make them all come mm-hmm. on because voltage in the system is wrong. You know, they're all talking to each other, so that's why you have to have somebody who knows what they're doing. If you get some chucklehead in there, he's going to read a code and start selling you parts, and I'm going to tell you what, you can run out of money before oh, yeah. you run out of guesses. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I had the door handle sensor replaced. That was four hundred and sixty. Right. Every one of those sensors is three, four hundred bucks. And like I said, there's there's hundreds of them on there, and a lot of those may be related. Like you said, it could have low voltage in the system causing every one of them to come on. It doesn't mean necessarily the code you're reading is what's wrong. That's just what the computer's all right. interpreting. Especially if they all came on at one time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that was and that was two years ago. It's more aggravating than anything. It else. is. The car, the car rides fine. Yeah, it's, it's gonna run okay. It's gonna not have certain features like if the traction lights on, it's not gonna have traction control. But again, unless you're in a situation where you need that, you're not gonna know. Same thing with well, ABS. My, one thing I, do, I don't have my my cruise control doesn't work. Right, all that's yeah. tied in. So that, that would be yeah. part of the same yeah. thing. The, so cru- the cruise doesn't work because the ABS lights right, on. Right, it's going to enab- disable that because it uses the same sensors as ABS uses. Right. Gotcha. All right, guys. I appreciate it. All right, man. All right. Thanks, guy. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take our second quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, and the little form's going to pop up. Fill out the little form with the correct information and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And we were talking just a little bit about air conditioning uh-huh. and some of the things you can do to head off problems, some of the things you do that cause greater problems. And, of course, because we're discussing that particular topic doesn't mean we're limited to that. We correct. will take a call on any topic you may have. That's just kind of a format that we like to use to give us something to jack Keeps, about. Yeah, you go between, between the callers. The callers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. One of the biggest things we hear is – there are normally two symptoms on an air conditioner, regardless of the problem. Mm-hmm. Either it's not getting cool enough or it's not cooling. Now, regardless of the problem, one of those two symptoms are generally going to be. The, yeah. In other words, it could be anything a from a blown fuse to a torn up compressor. It's not going to cool. Right. Anything that goes wrong, the first symptom is going to be it's not going to cool or it's not going to cool well enough. Correct. So. Just knowing that it's not cooling well enough does not mean there's one thing you can do that's going to address that. That could be any number number of things things in that system, yeah. And one of the most common problems that we see is that someone's AC, the the wife comes home, tells her husband, well, my car's not cooling well enough. 
well, Bubba, the next door neighbor's got a charging hose. Well, let's put some more refrigerant in it. Right. Okay. It's got to be low on refrigerant because so, they leak. They all leak, right? Well, they don't know anything about it. And they don't know nothing about that. So exactly. that must be it. But the thing is, you don't know what's wrong. And very, very often, what happens when it's not cooling is that one of the electrical cooling fans has gone out. Mm-hmm. Now, when that cooling fan goes out, because that's a relatively high failure item, it quits drawing air through the condenser when you're moving slow. So the head pressure goes sky high, which is going to tear the compressor up. So the computer shuts the AC off, so it quits cooling. Right. Well, what they do is they don't realize this thing only holds 12 ounces or 16 ounces of refrigerant to start at, with. At most. At most. They go in. They say, okay, it's not cooling. Let's dump another 12 ounces on top of that. Well, now it's 100% A overcharged. 100% overcharge. The head pressure was already too high. That right. was the problem. Now the head pressure is catastrophic. You are unfolding the folds in the evaporator core. You're ripping the compressor to pieces. You basically absolutely destroyed the system that needed a cooling fan. It still needs a cooling fan. Sure. But now it needs an entire system. An entire AC system replaced because you let some chucklehead go in there and squirt some more refrigerant in there when that was not the case at all. Right. Now, worst case is he goes to a parts store. He buys a can of refrigerant that has sealer in it, which a lot of it does. Now you've got a contaminated system that's ripped to pieces. Right. So if you go to a legitimate shop, they're going to first identify what's in there, and they say, I'm sorry, your system's contaminated. We can't do anything with it. Well, now you've got the option of an go, entire system. go buy another car. Even a, another system is not really a legitimate fix because I can't, I can't extract what's in there. Right. I can't recycle we, we can't, this. We can't open that system with the ceiling in it. Because it's contaminated, I can't really do anything with it. So you could very well basically total your car just by putting a can of refrigerant in it sure i mean it doesn't sound likely but believe me it, it a lot happens. of things that don't sound likely <laughs> happen all the time but the thing is you've got to figure out why the car is not cooling there is no one thing that is going to do that exactly we've, we've seen anything from the the control head going bad the the little motor stepper motors underneath the dash will well, go bad and times it's not an air conditioning problem at all right maybe it's stuck on fresh air and so the system just can't keep up because it's pulling 107 degree 100 percent humidity air in constantly trying to recool it and it just can't keep can't up keep it and the problem is the little motor under the dash that puts it on recirc mm-hmm. because if it was on recirc it'd be cooling fine sure so that's one thing i've seen a dirty a filthy dirty cabin filter a right. lot of people don't even realize they have a cabin filter but just like your home AC has a big filter on it that filters the air going into the evaporator, most, many, many cars, if not most cars, have a yeah. filter on them. In fact, GM used them for a little while and then quit using them a certain years, and now they've gone back to using them. Right. And the ones in between the two years had no filter on them at all. Right. So if the evaporator got plugged up with whatever Dirt. was in the car, debris, uh, debris, animal mm-hmm. hair, whatever, it'll block the flow off and the air conditioner will quit working. And in fact, it'll draw so much humidity inside that it will fill the tray up and the water will run inside the vehicle it may start overflowing inside the car another thing that they do quite often is that when the refrigerant you've got refrigerant dropping pressure going into the evaporator core as a liquid it has to flash to a gas if there's not enough airflow through that through that evaporator it may not completely flash so liquid is returned back it starts filling up the accumulator which is there to store it mm-hmm. if it overflows it goes into the compressor liquids don't compress no so something as simple as a dirty cabin filter can tear up an ac compressor sure so that's why you have to have it diagnosed and not just let it go or worse yet go and, and just do something 
because you can create a huge, huge, huge problem where a fairly simple problem existed before. Let's go back to our phone lines with Bob. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning. Lewis, I've got a 2004 Trailblazer LS mm-hmm. driving along the other day down Joe Road, and I lost all my gauges, but my fuel and temperature, they didn't quit working. They just lost zero. They just start reading improperly? Yeah, it's like, say, I'm at a stop, the speedometer's regi- registering 80, Yeah, but when I take off, it still functions. Okay, well, the that, most common thing on that, in that year range, is the motors inside the instrument cluster are absolutely notorious for going out. In fact, they wanted to recall for that. I'm sure this one's out now, because I think it was, a, I want to say recall them for seven years or 80,000 miles, but that would be the most common thing. There are four different stepper motors, one for the tack one for the speedometer, one for the temperature, one for the oil pressure if you have one. And those little motors will go bad, and when they do, they won't return to zero. They'll be reading like 80 miles an hour when you're doing 40 or something like that. Or maybe yeah. sitting on 40 when, you, when you're doing zero. That's exactly what's happening, and I just wanted to, before I order an instrument cluster, make sure you didn't think it would be the com- a computer. No, it's not a computer, but, you know, the instrument clusters can sometimes be repaired on those. I just have to see... If it's the stepper motors, we can repair those in-house. We change those stepper motors here. If the motherboard is bad, you are better off just to get another uh, instrument cluster. Now, that yeah, being... I, that I being, found an instrument cluster for 149 159 bucks. Yeah. So. Well, if you can get it for that, that's probably as cheap as you're going to be able to get it repaired anyway. Just make sure it is compatible. And on an older one like that, it shouldn't be any problem installing it. On the later models, they have to be programmed. And when you have to program it, you know, it's a whole different set of circumstances. That particular one, 04, should not have to be programmed. The only thing they said I have to do is send them the information on the mileage. Yeah, mileage I... and sometimes the hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because if that doesn't match what's in the in body the module, then it's going to start shutting stuff down. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, brother. You've come a long way from North Foster Drive. There you go. We're <laughs> coming you. even further from Plank Road. <laughs> Thank you, man. All right, well, All right. thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Here we're talking just a little bit about ACs and uh-huh. stuff, and one of the things that a lot of folks don't realize is that most cars, or all cars virtually, have a fresh air setting and they mm-hmm. have a recirculation setting. Right. Now, the fresh air setting is for people who may be smoking their car and they want to exhaust that, those fumes, and it's a handy feature. But if you're in South Louisiana where it's 100 degrees outside and 95% humidity. You don't want to be running on research. No no AC system in the world can keep up drawing that air in and constantly recooling right. Just think of it as your house. You wouldn't leave a door wide open. Yeah, open, and, open the two doors and turn your and AC, turn on, AC and, on and expect it to get cool. It's, right. it's constantly drawing hot, moist air in and having mm. to recool it. So you want to be on recirculate. That Correct. way it cools, dehumidifies the air, and it it's keeps going back the vehicle. through. So it's a cumulative effect. It keeps cooling it more and more and more. So the system is working infinitely less uh, than it has to. Than it has to. If it's on fresh air, it's going to work really, really hard at best. Most of the time on a really hot day, it's just not going to keep, keep up. up. Right. And there's probably some cars that could keep up. You know, I've got a little Chevy pickup, O2 model. It is a, it's a single, single cab. cab. Right. It's a light color. And it can keep up under those conditions just because it's got the same AC as like a Suburban that had the big cab. So that little unit will absolutely freeze that little truck. Mm -hmm. But now when you start getting to an extended cab or a Tahoe or a Suburban, 
you got the same size unit, but it's cooling a, a much, much, much larger area. Right. And what you got to remember, a lot of people don't realize, air conditioners do not produce coal. No. There's they, virtually no such thing as coal. Coal is the absence of heat. Okay. What you're doing is you're removing the heat from the vehicle, which the result is, is cool. cool. Right. Sort of like dark. There's no such thing as dark. Dark is just the absence, absence of, of light. light. <laughs> All right. Turn out the lights and you got dark. <laughs> But it's the same thing. It has to remove the heat. If sure. you keep putting more heat and more humidity in, it has to continually keep trying to remove it, and it just can't keep up with that. Now, anything that affects the airflow will also affect the cooling. Mm-hmm. That could be, like we talked about earlier, a cabin filter that's dirty. It could be a fan. Sometimes your fan will go to where it only works on one or two speeds. Mm-hmm. Now, if it only works on lower speeds, even though the AC is working fine, it's probably not going to cool that vehicle. Because it can't pull enough air across the evaporator. Not moving enough air through that evaporator to keep it going. So it may eventually cool the vehicle down, but it's going to take it a long, long time. Sure. And it's really not necessarily good for the vehicle. It's kind of like I've seen people that their blower motor would go out on their AC. But when they get going down the road, there's enough air flowing through there where it kind of cools down because they're getting some airflow. And they keep driving it. That is the worst thing you can possibly do because you've got to have airflow through the evaporator just like you've got to have airflow through the condenser. Mm -hmm. The airflow through the condenser gives off the heat. The airflow through the evaporator pulls the heat out. Right. So if you're not getting airflow, what's happening is that liquid refrigerant going into the evaporator core is not flashing off fully. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a safety feature called a receiver or an accumulator. It's a tank. And any liquid that incidentally goes through the evaporator core Kitch. will bill in there right. and flashes off as a gas and goes back to the compressor because compressors can only compress gas. But that can fill up. If you've got a fan that's not blowing air through that evaporator. And you're moving more liquid than you are gas. Right. You get enough liquid to where it will overflow that accumulator. The very second one drop of liquid hits that compressor, sure. it's going to hydrolock. Sure. Chevrolet had problems with that a number of years ago on the Tahoes and the Suburbans, and the sign was you would accelerate and you'd hear right loud squeal noise and soon thereafter the ac would quit working well what the squeal noise is is the compressor would lock up at about 40 or 50 miles an hour and the belt would still try to turn it the, the belt, belt would slip, would slip across and them. it would slam that little tension over it would break the ears off the tension you could always tell it had happened because you look at the tension the ears would be broken off because it slammed that tension over. right right and you knew when you opened that system what you were going to find is full of pieces of metal because compressors can't just be hydrolocked. And they're not, you know, it's like a motor. It can't just stop when you put liquid. It's not going to compress. Right. It's going to keep trying to it's turn. Gonna, it's going to bend the rod. It's going to damage the wobble plate. It's going to damage the bearings. It's going to damage the piston. It's going to do damage. Right. One single occurrence is going to damage it. May fail right then. It may fail six months from then. It's going to fail. It's a done deal once it occurs. And when it does, the trash that it creates is going into the system. It's circulating this metal. And when it leaves the compressor with the oil and the refrigerant, the first place it's going is into the condenser. Correct. Now, this is a labyrinth of tiny, tiny, tiny tubes that are several, several hundred, if not thousands of feet long. Mm -hmm. It snakes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's designed for the The output. Well, the output from the compressor goes through there. It's a very, very hot gas. The air comes across. It cools it down to a liquid where it goes back to the orifice tube. The orifice tube breaks it down to pressure where it flashes back to a gas, and that's what causes it to start cooling. When mm-hmm. you take the different phases of this gas, and as you take a, a liquid and you turn it to a gas, when it changes state, it absorbs energy is the way the unit actually works. Mm-hmm. 
So what happens is that if you get this metal coming out of the compressor, it's going to get into this com- condenser, and it's going to start to accumulate in there. Right. Now, there is no possible way to clean a condenser. If you ever saw a cross-section of a condenser, you'd understand what I'm saying. But these are little tiny, tiny holes about the size of a needle, and there they are just maybe run. 10 or 15 of them side by side in a flat tube that snakes back and forth for a couple thousand feet. Right. Any debris that gets in that condenser it's will stay in that condenser until you put a new compressor on it. <laughs> yeah. Then it's going to circulate back around. First thing it's going to do is probably plug up the orifice tube. Then it's going to cut the little screen. It's going to get through there. It's going to go right through the evaporator because those are relatively larger tubes in there. It's going to go into the accumulator. It's going to flow back through. And when it gets back to the compressor, if one piece of metal hits that compressor, it's going to score it up, and again, the cycle starts all over again. Exactly. So now you got twice the metal in it. Now you've got all the metal flat. If your car uses an expansion valve, it's going to plug the expansion valve. It's going to probably start quick cooling also. This is why when you come in with an AC repair today, you're going to see repairs costing anywhere from $2,000 on up, up to three or $4,000. It's because of the number of components that have to be replaced. There's just no option. Sure. Just like the hoses on the compressor, if there are any ma- little uh, manifolds or mufflers on right. that hose, same thing. They accumulate metal. You can't clean them, so you have to replace all that with the system, or you're going to be spending all this money right all over, over again. again. Hey, take our final quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Welcome. I am the great fondue automobile fortune teller. Sit I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Great fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Still got a few minutes. If you got a question, you just give us a call, 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. Yeah, we're talking just a little bit about ACs. And two of the things that you can do to kind of prevent some AC problems, not all, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Number one is to keep the belt on your compressor in good shape. Correct. Because it doesn't have to get to the point where it's fixing to break or it's cracked up. When those belts get old, little teeth wear, they start to slip slightly. An AC compressor, by far, draws the most load of everything on the engine. Sure. If that compressor starts to slip just a little bit, at very least, it's going to burn up the clutch and maybe burn up the whole compressor. So maybe a little bit sooner than you normally would, go ahead and replace the belt, particularly in South Louisiana where it just gets so blasted hot. Right. And these new belts, they're not going to show wear like the old ones They don't show wear. They don't crack. Right. They just wear out. And that's just money well spent. The second thing you can do is you can clean the condenser 
on it on many cars. Some mm-hmm. cars it's very, very, very hard, if not impossible, to get to because of the way the grill and all is in there. But if you can get in there, you don't have to get anything real fancy, just a garden hose, motor off, just take and wash that condenser out the best you can, get the dirt debris that you can get out of it out. I mean, do a really good job. You probably have to take it loose, pull it out, and backwash it. Wash it, it for backwards, yeah. But that would be kind of involved. Well, in some vehicles, it's impossible. It may be all next impossible. It'd be almost as easy to just replace it. But if you can clean the condenser, go ahead and clean the condenser. Keep a good belt. If the car has a cabin filter, keep that clean. Those yes. generally need to be changed every 15,000 miles. I like to check them about every, yeah, about every 15,000 yeah, miles. About, about once every a year. They, they get change, dirty maybe. real fast, and that can cause you an awful lot of grief. And the ones that don't have a cabin filter, try to keep from parking under trees or anything like that to keep the debris out of as the grill. As much out as you possibly can. I yep. see we're just about totally out of time. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. That's right. Give us a written review to move us up in the rankings. That way more people can listen and we can keep doing the show. Hey, pre-signals opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.